0: If you have a Bible, turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 5. Yesterday was the one-year anniversary of my son Josh's death. For you that don't know, he died the day before my youngest son's wedding. He had gone to Greenville for the day to spend the day with his brother, and, and throughout the day we had texted back and forth. At about 10.39 at night, I texted Josh to see if he was on his way home yet, and he answered and said that he would be leaving in about a half an hour. And that's the last that he texted before I went to bed. When I got up the next morning at 6.45, I texted him back, and, and the last words I said to him on that text were, I love you. Little did I know that, that he would never read that text. Little did I know that, that when he left, the afternoon before, that would be the last time that I would see him alive. He died sometime during the night of a, of a massive brain aneurysm. Josh was only 25 years old. I've replayed the, the days and the weeks leading up to that event over and over and over in my mind. I've asked myself, what would I have said differently to my son? What would I have done differently during those last couple of weeks if I had it to do over again. And I imagine that Josh certainly didn't think that his time was coming to an end. He had plans, he had dreams, he had things that he wanted to accomplish in his life, but he never got to do those things. Those things never happened. And I'm afraid that's how it is with most of us here today. We get up every morning, and we never think that the day could be our last day. We never possibly think that, that this could be the last breath that we breathe. We go to bed at night and, and it never enters our mind that we never may wake up again. We think that we have plenty of time, we have plenty of time to do the things we want to do, but the truth of the matter is, you and I need to understand that none of us are promised tomorrow. I want you to listen to a a couple of verses from Solomon, who, who the Bible says was the wisest man that ever lived. In Proverbs 16, verse 1, he says this, we can make our plans, but the final outcome is in God's hands. We can plan, but it's God who determines the outcome. In Proverbs chapter 19, Solomon said it this way. He said, people can make all kinds of plans, but only the Lord's plans will happen. In other words, all of our planning, all of our dreaming, all of our preparation may never come to pass. The truth is, none of us know what the future holds. In James chapter 4, James said it this way. He said, listen to me, you that say today or tomorrow we will travel to a certain city where we will stay a year and go into business and and make a lot of money. You don't even know what your life tomorrow will be. You're like a puff of smoke which appears in a moment and then disappears. What you should say is this. If the Lord is willing, we will live. And we will do this. Or that. So in light of the fact that none of us are promised tomorrow, in light of the fact that none of us know what the future holds, how should we live our lives? In light of the reality that, that, that some of us who are in this room this morning probably will not be here next Memorial Day, in light of the fact that some of us in this room will lose some people who are very near and dear to us, Before the next Memorial Day, how shall we live our lives? Well, I believe Paul answers that in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. I want you to listen to what he says. He says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Now those three verses are packed with truths that can guide us as we seek to live every day to its fullest. Those three verses can give us some insights that will help us as we seek to live each and every moment in a way that honors and pleases God. But I believe that there are three truths that we desperately need to apply. And I'm convinced that if you make the commitment here this morning to apply these truths to your life every single day, they will change the way you live. Now here's truth number one. Live carefully. Now why do you need to live carefully? Here's why. Because the days are evil. That's what he says in verse 15. He says, be careful how you live and then in verse 16 he says the days are evil listen to me be careful how you live be careful what you do because the day in which we are presently living is as bad as it has ever been let me ask you a question how many of you here in this room this morning are younger than 25 if you're younger than 25 raise your hand a lot of you You need to understand that the world in which you are growing up is different than the world in which your parents grew up. It's different than the world in which your grandparents grew up and the world in which your great-grandparents grew up. My parents are are both in their 80s. And the world today is, is crazy different. They have smartphones. And they're always trying to figure out how to use those smartphones. They both are on Facebook. And my dad has opened up at least four Facebook accounts. (laughs) Every time he does and I get a, a friend request, I call him up and I say, Hey, Dad, got a friend request from you. What's going on? And he'll proceed to tell me and I'll proceed to give him an answer and then we'll proceed to figure out how to get back to his old account. I mean, we're living in a different world today than than our parents grew up, our grandparents grew up. But I'm not talking about technologically different. I'm not talking about scientifically different. I'm talking about morally different, spiritually different Did we have struggles growing up? You better believe it. Did we have to deal with temptations? Without a doubt. Did we have our blind spots? Yes, we had our blind spots. But it's nothing like what you are facing. It seems like the enemy is hitting us with everything he has. And to be honest with you, I don't believe there has been a time in modern history that we have been more wicked, more vile, more evil, more deceived than we are today. What used to be practiced in the shadows under the cloak of darkness has become mainstream in our world today. What was seen as sin is now being celebrated. What was believed by, by a few people is now embraced by the masses. Who would have ever thought 30 years ago that we would have transgender bathrooms? Who would have thought that that we would have gay marriages? Who would have thought that we would have mass shootings? It seems like almost every week in schools across America. And who would have thought that people wearing a fur would be seen as more morally repugnant than those who have had an abortion? But that's 2018, and that's the world in which we're living, and it's getting worse. I cannot but believe that that we are living in the end times, that the time of Jesus appearing is is drawing closer and closer. I want you to listen to what Paul said in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He said, remember that there will be difficult times in the last days. People will be selfish and greedy and boastful and conceited. They will be insulting, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, irreligious. They will be unkind, merciless, slanderers, violent, fierce. They will hate the good. They will be treacherous, reckless, swollen with pride. They will love pleasure rather than God. They will hold to the outward form of our religion but reject its real power. Keep away from these people. That's how Paul described the last days, the days before Jesus comes back. And and as I read those verses, and I look out at the landscape across America, it seems to me that what I read is happening right now. And, And then I read, what Paul writes to the church at Rome, his very first chapter to them. Listen to what he says. He says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And let's stop there. God shows his anger. Hear me. God is angry at our sin. And you may think that he is overlooking it, You may think he is doing nothing about it, but trust me, God will deal with our sin. And then he says they know the truth about God because he made it obvious to them. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like as a result. Their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. They instead became utter fools. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired as a result. They did vile, degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things they should never have done. Their lives became full of envy, all kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate. Murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die and yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. As I sit back and read that, and I, and I think, if, if that's how they were living in Rome, in Paul's day, how much more are we living that way today? I mean, we turn on the radio, and, and, and we hear a lady sing a song, I kissed a girl, and I like it, and it becomes number one. How can we? How can we imagine anything else other than our kids struggling with what is right and wrong? What is good and what is bad? And yet in the midst of all this craziness that is being taught and embraced, Paul says be careful how you live. And then he says this, he said don't live like fools, live like wise." Over and over again. The Bible puts mankind into two categories. There are the fools and there are the wise. The fool is simply the person who lives their life independent of God. The fool is the person who who seeks to put themselves on the throne of their own life. The fool is the person who lives for the temporal. The wise. The wise is the person that seeks to live their life from God's perspective. The wise is the person who seeks to live their life under God's control. The wise is the person that seeks to live their life with eternity in mind rather than the temporal in mind. The book of Proverbs is filled with examples comparing the foolish to the wise. And I would encourage you to take some time to read the book of Proverbs. We're we're about to start a new month. Read a chapter of Proverbs a day and underline or highlight those verses that compare the fool to the wise and see what it says. But in Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 7 Solomon says this. He says or chapter 7 verse 4, he says a wise man thinks about death. That's not saying that a wise person is morbid. It's not saying a wise person is always pondering their own death. No, what it's saying is a wise person realizes that death is reality. A wise person realizes the the, the fact that we're all going to face death one day. It is appointed to a man wants to die. The wise person thinks about death. But then he says this, a fool thinks only about having a good time. The fool thinks about the temporary The temporal, the wise person lives with eternity in mind. One day, someday, I'm going to come to the end of my life, and therefore I'm going to make decisions and choices based upon that. So so how can we live wise? Well, there's no way you're going to live wise unless you apply this this book. But but I think that, that if you want to live a wise life, what you need to first of all do is you need to make a commitment to ask the right questions. Because understand, hear me, there's a difference between making the right decision and making the wise decision. You see, you need to understand that it's not always a choice between right and wrong. Sometimes it's a choice between right and the best. And just because something is not wrong doesn't mean that it is best. It doesn't mean that it is wise. And and so instead of asking ourselves what what is the right thing to do and what is the wrong thing to do, we should be asking ourselves what is the wise thing to do. Because I'm here to tell you there are some things, listen, there are some things that aren't necessarily sinful but they certainly aren't wise. And to be quite honest with you, they are stupid for some of us to do. About 15 years ago, Andy Stanley wrote a book. The title of the book was The Best Question Ever. And, and in that book, he said, the best question is not what is right and what is wrong. He said, the question, best question is what is wise. And, and, and then he Framed how you answer that question by by asking three questions. And we don't have time to, to go into this in detail. You can buy the book, you can probably buy it cheap, and it's worth the investment. But I want to give you those three questions. He says, if you want to make wise decisions, the first question you need to ask is, in light of your past experiences, what is the wise thing to do? In Isaiah 42, 23 it says, will not even one of you apply these lessons from the past and see the ruin that awaits you? You see, all too often we keep doing the same things over and over and over again and we wonder why we keep getting the same disastrous results. Hear me. You're not going to get different results until you change what you're doing. George Santayana said this, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. I've discovered that that we can do three things when it comes to our past. We can be handcuffed by our past, we can seek to ignore our past, or we can learn from our past. The truth is, we're all products of our past, either good or bad. Unfortunately, there are many of us that don't learn from our past experiences and we keep repeating the same foolish things over and over and over again. And we don't need to go into detail on what those things may be. You can figure it out. But in light of your past experiences, in light of your family tree, what is the wise thing to do? Second, in light of my current circumstances, What is the wise thing to do? Whenever we're making decisions, we not only look back at our past experiences, we look at our present situation. What is our current emotional state? Hear me. You don't make important decisions when you are emotionally fractured. And that's what we do. We're an emotional basket case and we make the decision to leave our spouse because we just had a fuss. Our child has come to us and told us that that they're struggling with a certain sin and, and all of a sudden we embrace that sin because of the emotional weight that is upon us. We don't make decisions when we are are emotionally fractured. That's unwise. We make those decisions before anything like that ever happens. Where's your walk with the Lord? What about your relationships? What about where you are financially? Listen to me. There are things that aren't necessarily wrong for you to do financially. In the future? That would be foolish for you to do in the present. Would you agree? All of our kids are out of our house. Amen. You know, some people, they they cry when they experience the emptiness. Man, I went on a vacation. (laughs) But here's the deal. Understand... When we had kids in our home and we were paying for them and we were trying to get their educations and all of those things, there were things that that we knew we couldn't do. Now, we could have done them, but it wouldn't have been wise to do them. But now, we're free at last. Free at last, thank God Almighty. We're free at last. And, And so with that, there are things that we can do if we want to do Because we are more freed up financially. There are things that may be wise for us to do that wouldn't have been wise for us to do 10 years ago, 15 years ago, based upon where we were. So in light of your current circumstances, what is the wise thing to do? And then third, in light of your future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? Most of us have a mental picture of what we want our future to look like, If you were to be asked where you want to be financially, you would have a picture of that. If you were asked where you want to be relationally, you would have a picture of that. If you were asked what you would want to be doing in the future, you have a picture in your mind of where you want to be, what you want to be doing. But unfortunately, most of our dreams never come true, not because of our inability to make them happen, It's because of the decisions we make today that impact our future tomorrow. Hear me. If you want to eat ribeye when you retire, eat peanut butter and jelly today. Can I get a witness, amen? You see, you can decide... How you're going to live today and how you live today is going to have a dramatic impact on how you live tomorrow. You can do without today so you can have tomorrow. You can live a holy life today so that you can have eternity tomorrow. You can make decisions today that affect what you want in the future. Andy Stanley said this. He said, making choices with the end in mind goes a long way toward ensuring a happy ending. So live carefully. Don't live like fools. Live like wise. Next, Paul would say, make every moment count. Why? Because life is short. In verse 16, he says, make the most of every opportunity. I love what the King James says. It says, redeem The time. That word redeem is the same Greek word that's used in Galatians 3, where it says Christ, Jesus, redeems us from the curse. The word means to ransom, it means to purchase, it means to set free, to buy back. And so, just as Jesus redeems us from the curse that sin puts us under, Paul says that you and I are to redeem the time. We are to take the time that's held captive. We are to take the time that's under the curse of sin, and we are to redeem it for God's glory and God's honor. Now, there are two Greek words for time. The one Greek word is the word chronos, which is minute time. The tick-tock, tick-tock on a clock. It's the time that just goes by on a clock. But then the other Greek word is the Greek word kairos, and that's the word that is used here. And it is moment time. Now you say, what's the difference between minute time and moment time? Minute time is just simply the tick-tock on the clock. Moment time are the opportunities that God places before you. And what God is saying here is that you need to redeem, you need to set free, you need to use the time, the moments, the opportunities that God gives you for his glory and his honor. Now how do you do that? Two things. First of all, you seek first the kingdom of God. That's priorities. You're never going to redeem the time unless you get your priorities in order. And if your priorities in order then Jesus and his kingdom and his righteousness has to be more important than anything or anyone else. We see that throughout Scripture. The people who redeemed the time sought first the kingdom of God. Second, you have to store up riches in heaven. Now what does that mean? Does that mean that you can't have riches on earth? No, it doesn't mean that. Because the Bible in both the Old Testament and the New Testament give us example of people that God blessed with riches. The key is, do you have the riches or do the riches have you? And you see, that's, that's the difference. Some of us are controlled by our riches our money and the things that money can buy, they're they're our God. But others of us see riches as a tool, a resource for God's glory. And that's what the Bible is talking about here. If we want to store up riches in heaven, then we see everything that God puts in our hands as a resource to use for His glory. Now, does that mean that we cannot enjoy things that that God blesses us with? Absolutely not. We can enjoy those things. And, and let me tell you, if, if God has blessed you with a, a boat to go out on the lake, all I've got to say is you haven't invited me. <laughs> you haven't invited me. I'm hurt. And, and you can invite me, and you can teach me how to catch that big, large bass. Just don't laugh at me as I'm learning. I'll go out with you, and I'll enjoy that boat with you. If God's blessed you with a, a vacation house, if, if He's blessed you with one in Maui, you don't have to tell everybody, but tell me. And, and I'll be happy to allow you to bless me with a week in Maui. You see, there's nothing wrong with you having things as long as those things aren't grabbing hold of you. As long as you have those things and you say, God, if you want me to sell this boat, it's yours. God, if you want me to sell this house, it's yours. God, if you want me to take everything I've got and and give it away for your glory, I'll do it because it's yours. Because I'm not living for the temporal, I'm living for the eternal. Do you hear what I'm saying? And we tell whether we're redeeming the time by our priorities, how we use our time, and by our treasures, how we're using the resources that God puts in our hands. So we redeem the time. We make every moment count knowing that we're not trying to build a kingdom down here this world and everything in it is going to pass away we're preparing for the next and we're trying to take as many people with us as possible amen and so we live carefully because the days are evil we live like the wise people not like fools we make the most of every opportunity how by seeking first God's kingdom, making sure our priorities in order, and then storing up riches in heaven. And then third, we discover and we commit to God's will. And the reason is because our Heavenly Father really does know best. Paul said, understand what the Lord wants. In several other translations, and I believe the best translation, it says, understand what the will of the Lord is. Now The reason I believe that's the better translation is because what the Lord wants is His will, but I think sometimes we can read what the Lord wants and kind of gloss over it. But, but what Paul is saying here is you and I need to discover God's will. And I want you to hear me God has a perfect will, a perfect plan, a perfect purpose for you. You say, I don't believe that. Well, you don't believe the Bible. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, God says this to Jeremiah. He said, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I called you to be a prophet. Before you were ever even born, I had a plan for you, is what God says. And I want you to hear me. If God had a plan for Jeremiah before he was even formed in his mother's womb, God had a plan for you before you were formed in your mother's womb. And the secret to you living life to its fullest is discovering that plan. Every person must eventually decide, do I know best or does God know best? We have to make that decision. Because if we think that we know best, we are going to live life our way. But if we really do believe that God knows best, then we're going to seek to discover His will. And hear me, hear me, There are some of you here today who wake up every Monday morning dreading Monday morning. And the reason is, you have bought into your plan rather than God's plan. You felt like you knew best what you should do and not God. Because I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you, when you tap into God's plan it is going to light your world up. Will you get tired at times? Absolutely. Will you get frustrated at times? Yes. That's part of living in a fallen world with a fallen nature. But you will know, this is what I was made for. This is what I was created for. This is what I've always dreamed for. When you submit to God's plan, He doesn't have to pull you into it kicking and screaming. You're going to run into it because you realize that's what you were made for. And God's will, God's will is the key to success and happiness in this life and in the next. So what about it? Do you want to make every moment count? Do you want your life to be memorable? Then here's what you have to do. You have to live carefully. Because we're living in evil days. Don't live like a Fool, live like a wise person. Second, make every moment count. Redeem the time. Take advantage of the opportunities that God gives you. How? By prioritizing the kingdom of God. Seeking first the kingdom of God. And by storing up riches in heaven. Recognizing that we aren't building a temporal kingdom. We're building an eternal kingdom. And then third... Discover, and then commit to God's will. When you do, it'll rot your world. Now why do we need to do this? Eternity's coming. And it's coming quicker than any of us in this room think. And it's going to surprise some of us when it gets here. So we better be ready. I want you to bow your head with me. Now I want you to close your eyes. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, here's what you need to understand. The first step in getting ready to make your life memorable is giving your life to Jesus. You're never going to seek first the kingdom until you give your life to Him. And most likely there are some of you here this morning who have never made that decision to do that. You've never committed your life to him. You've never been born again. His spirit has never come into you making you a new person. And today you need to do that. And so I'm going to ask you right here, right now, if you will, to pray this prayer, make this commitment. Dear God, I come to you right now in Jesus' name, thanking you for loving me. Thank you for never leaving me, never forsaking me. Lord God, I come to you right now acknowledging that I'm a sinner. i failed you. I've disobeyed you. I'm so sorry. I don't want to live that way anymore. I'm tired of living a self-life. I'm giving up a self-life. Jesus, I know you love me. You died on the cross to pay for my sins you rose from the grave defeating sin and death today I'm trusting you to save me, I'm giving my life to you, come into my heart, come into my life, change me, make me new fill me with your Holy Spirit thank you Jesus for hearing my prayer and thank you for saving